And these children like are like, well, I, I thought I could afford to go to this like really nice private school and spend, you know, $50,000 a year. And there's like, there's no money here for this. And then the child ends up making bad choices of like borrowing private student loans and things like that. Smart money parenting. All right, everybody, welcome back to Smart Money Parenting. I'm here today with Chad. We've got a very special guest today, our new friend, Robert. Barrington with The College Investor. So we did an episode a few a few episodes back where Chad and I talked about college, how to prepare, how to think about it. Should you go? Should you not? That was a great episode. Um, but I think today we want to get more into the nitty gritty of saving for college. So Robert, how you doing, buddy? I'm great. Thanks for having me here, guys. Yeah, this is going to be awesome. Anything that helps families think through how to plan well and get them, themselves ready to make independent interdependent, successful kids. So we're just going to pepper you with questions on this topic. <laughs> Love it. My favorite thing. Let's do this. Some combative, some knowledge-based, some just like, nice. let's go into it. So um, why don't we just start with um, just a quick background, like 30 seconds on your family, your work, like kind of how you got here to be the college investor. Absolutely. So I'm an accidental financial guy here. I started the college investor when I was finishing uh, college way back in 2009, because I wanted to share my thoughts on investing and building wealth. Um, but you know, student loans paying for college was never my jam until everyone was like, I really want to build wealth. I really want to do all these things, but I have all these student loans. And so I really dove in help people try to navigate that student loan debt stuff. And now we're all older. We're all in our thirties and forties and we have kids. And so now it's become this juggling act of, well, we have these competing priorities. I want to build wealth. I want to save for the future. I'm still trying to pay off my student loans, but now do I save for kids? Do I help kids navigate college? Like, how am I thinking about this? And so, you know, just as my life has evolved and grown, so have our readers and our viewers. And uh, here we are. So we talk a lot about this whole concept of how do we build wealth, save for the future, but we have families now, right? And I have two kids of my own um, and they're nine and six. And so I'm, I'm right in the middle of this as well. They're perfect, awesome. gravy, they're perfect gravy stack starters <sighs> right here, which is our nice. sponsor. So we'll get them on that app as soon as we can. Robert, I see you're, you are the millennial money expert, which I think is awesome. And I see that, uh, you know, you have obviously hundreds of thousands of monthly visitors to your site. You're teaching young people about money. Why do you think it's so important for young people, young adults, millennials, and their kids to learn about financial education? I mean, honestly, because it's it's math game and it's it's a game of time, right? So the earlier you start, the easier it just is to build wealth. It takes less money and the time works for you, right? And the sad truth about all of us as humans is we do have a limited amount of time. Um, you know, that time ticks. You can't get back being 18 again. You can't get back being 22 again. Can't be get back being 10 again, right? And so if we can start earlier, everything is just so much easier. You could start with 50 bucks a month. You can start with $100 a month. But you see these horror stories on the flip side when people aren't starting until their 50s and it's like they don't know if they're going to be able to retire. They don't know, like... It sucks. And I don't want to see that happen to people. And I really want to help people get educated to see how easy it actually is to get started young, start investing young. And plus, we live in this day and age, man, when I first started investing, I mean, it was like a pain in the butt to start. It was like $10 to buy any stock. Now everything's free on an app, mobile, like it's true, super easy true. to do all this stuff, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And so when you think about educating young people, like what age do you think is like, 
all right, by this age, as it for a kid, let's say, I should start teaching them a little bit about money and investing. I mean, you should start as early as you possibly can. So I think you definitely need to do age appropriate education for your children at every level. I mean, like two, three, four, you know, how does it work buying stuff at the, the corner store, right? Here's the candy, right? And then like, as you get into elementary school, like here's a little bit of money, like go buy a treat. How do you think about saving your birthday money and gifts? Like every age, you should have age appropriate conversations, because if you're not telling them and specifying what, when, where, why, the kids just observe it. And so either you can explain it and help them understand the nuance, or they're just going to observe it and then kind of make their own thoughts, which could be right or wrong. Right. Um, and that might not necessarily be the best thing for them. And I have a question for you on this, because, you know, I think a lot of this we, we keep going back to in this show, having the money conversations, right? Yeah. And parents feel really inadequate sometimes. They're like, I don't know. I don't even know if I know this stuff. And then how sure. do I teach it to my kids if I don't know it? But then also, you know, how do I, I don't even know if they're going to listen to me half the time, right? Right. And, and so is there a tool or, or like a framework or a mindset that you have for parents as they start to help their kids like think through these conversations? Or is it just yeah. like, here's a system go? Like, what's your thought process for parents? Definitely. Well, I think because it gets so overwhelming because I think a lot of parents think they have to jump to like this investment stuff or things like that really young. And it's like, you know, maybe when they're 16, but like when you have someone under 10, say, uh, it's really like basic math that they've learned in first and second grade. Like, hey, you got $10 from grandma. Let's talk about saving a little bit of that. And that means maybe put $2 in the piggy bank and then you can take, you know, another $5 and what do you want to buy? And then helping them understand what things cost at the store. Like, that's the kind of stuff that's really fundamental. And every parent is definitely equipped for that. But it's really that you need to take a little pause break and explain the whys, help them understand it. And then you need to repeat it again and again and again. I think part two is how do they earn the money, right? So like, are there ways that you can start teaching your children to earn earlier than maybe you would expect? So, you know, chores is a common one. Uh, you do household projects, but like, could you do, I'm do something outside the home, like go recycle. That's what we do with our kids. It's I always like that example is, you know, they take the recycling and we'll drop them off there and then, they get to see like some little bit of work, right? They got to crush the cans, take them to the recycling center. My son signs the little slip now, like, you know, gets his money and gets the cash. And then we talk about saving it, um, you know, that kind of thing. And then as they get older, you can continue to layer on these conversations. Like they might ask about things, um, you know, what is a stock? Maybe they hear something, Tesla or something. And you can have those conversations to kind of elaborate what things are. And I know those are the harder ones for parents, um, especially if they haven't personally been equipped with those themselves. But the cool thing is, is we live in this day and age where the access to this information is everywhere, whether you're a reader, a listener, uh, a viewer, you can find websites, podcasts, and YouTube channels that very clearly explain this stuff. And some of it might be very entertaining for your children anyways. Yeah, that's good. So let's, let's get into the college part. Okay. Let's do it. So when's a good time to start? What are the ways to save for college? I think Scott, he's got, he's got a cool thing on his website that says how to pay for college, the best order of operations. And he's got a list of nine in order of how to pay for college. I think that's kind of cool. If he could share a little bit about that list, I think that'd be De very useful for our listeners. 
Definitely. So yeah, let's start. So before we even get into the tools of how you pay for college, I always like to think of paying for college as the YES acronym. You, education savings, and then general savings. Um, and so what I mean by that is I'm a big believer in what you always hear when you sit down on an airplane and that you have to put the oxygen mask on yourself first before you take care of your kids. And I know that's hard for a lot of families, but let's be honest. There are a lot of ways to navigate education and higher education, grants, scholarships, financial aid, loans, yada, yada, different choices of schools, community college, whatever, trade school. There's so many options. You got to take care of yourself first. And what I mean by that is like, make sure you're financially set for retirement. Your savings are in line. You're not going into debt to pay for your kid's college. Um, you got to do that because you might think you're helping your kids now, but I've seen the horror side of this when these parents are approaching retirement and they're calling their kids up and they're like, hey, bad news. Uh, I don't have any money left because I spent $200,000 on your school. And now when your kids are like reaching the prime of their life and maybe be starting to have their own families and stuff, these parents are like, I got to move in or I need to sell my house or I can't afford my life. And it becomes a burden. So you think you're being very generous and helping your kids go to college, but then you just end up being burdensome and a problem later. So take care of yourself first before you even think about moving into education savings. That's a great point. And Robert, I, something we, we like to talk about on the show is you can't, you can't get scholarships for retirement. You can't get <laughs> no. grants. You can't, you can't really, I guess, finance and get student loans for retirement. So I think you're spot on because a lot of these uh, parents, some of them over invest in putting money away for college and under invest in their own retirement and their own futures. Absolutely. So then it's E, right? Education savings accounts. Now, this one is like, if you actually want to save for education, um, there are some accounts that make this better than others. So a 529 plan is usually the top pick for an education savings accounts. I will put an asterisk here, though. There's pros and cons to every account type. Um, so if you want higher education, 529 plans. You have uh, UGMA, UTMA accounts. These are like standard brokerage accounts for your kids. So they're taxable, but like the money's not like trapped in education. You can use it for anything. It grows like a brokerage account. You could do something like a Roth IRA, right? Uh, everyone loves the Roth IRA for like so many different reasons. Um, it works for education. It's not the best because it's very hard to get money into the account. You have things like Coverdell accounts. You know, they're much less popular now because uh, they don't have very low contribution limits and the 529 has like kind of filled the void of it. You have insurance policies, which I typically say everyone should probably stay away from. So bonds, you know, those are options too. But really, if you're looking at saving for education, you got the 529 plan and then you have taxable investing as well are kind of the two like bread and butter ways to approach this. So let me ask you about the 529s for a second, because I've heard like, amazing yeses and terrible no's. It's like, you know, how much can you give a year into it? Um, you know, does it hurt your ability to get scholarships if you have a 529? Can it roll over? And I, I, I thought we saw some um, new like legislation where you could roll it into a, an IRA afterwards if you don't pay for college. Like, is that true? Like, give us the, the info here. So the 529 plan, you know, is a really great education savings account that is there's 49 of them. There's 49 states with their own different rules. And most people should use the 529 plan in their state because you can get a tax deduction in most states to contribute money into the 529 plan. So the money goes in, you might get a tax deduction. 
sits in the account and it grows tax-free uh, until you need it for higher education. And then when you withdraw it, you can withdraw the money tax-free as long as you use it for qualifying expenses. So what are those qualifying expenses? College higher education costs, room board, tuition, if you're a full-time student. Uh, you can also use it for K-12 to education, and you can use it for $10,000 a year if you're in private school, you know, parochial school, things like that. Uh, that's great, too, if you're in a state with those tax deductions, because you can, like, contribute to the 529 plan, enjoy your tax deduction, and then pay for the K-12 through school that you're already paying. Uh, you could use $10,000 one time to pay your student loan debt bill. So if you still have money left in that 529 plan, you're like, hmm, what do I do with it? Uh, you know, you can use it for that. And then, yes, uh, you mentioned that you could roll it over to a Roth IRA. Um, starting next year, in 2024, you may be able to roll it into a Roth IRA. So again, there's 49 plans with 49 rules. Uh, some states will allow it automatically. Some states are probably never going to allow it. And I'm looking at California and New York. They, they just don't like to help people uh, in their states. And they don't follow a lot of the 529 plan rules. Um, and so you got to make sure you check with your plan before you even do it. And you're also subject to the Roth IRA limits. So even though it says like 35,000, you can't do like 35,000 one file swoop. You're going to have to do your $6,500 a year or whatever the limits raise to. So it's going to take you four or five years if you want to do that. So, Robert, what about the national plans? Aren't there a lot of national 529 plans too? What, is, what does that mean for people? There's no such thing as a national 529 plan. So there are plans that are marketed nationally, but they're all housed by states. So like Vanguard's 529 plan is actually Nevada's 529 plan. Uh, it's just offered nationally. And so where you might want to look at those plans is if you're in a state with no taxes, no tax deduction, um, Florida, Texas, Tennessee, uh, you know, you can go to any plan and anyone can actually go to any plan. Um, even if you're in a state with a tax deduction, there's nothing to stop you. You could actually open a plan in all 49 states and you could put $26 million into 529 plans if you wanted to max out every state, every plan across the country. There's nothing to stop you from doing that. It's just most people definitely don't need to save that much for college. And most people will benefit the most from their state's plan in most cases. Does it matter where the kids go to school, Robert? So let's say I live in, in California, my kid might go to school in Arizona, might go to school in Florida. Does it matter where they go to school where the plan is or how does that work? No, the plan is based on the rules of the account owner. So these 529 plans are set up with an account owner, which is usually the parent. Um, and then there's the account beneficiary, which is usually the child. But there are also a lot of ways you can set that up differently. So the account owner could be grandma or grandpa, uh, and the account beneficiary could be yourself, even if you don't have children. So like you can set this up so that you can benefit in a myriad of ways. You can also change the beneficiary. So let's just say, you know, kid one goes through college and there's still money left over. You could say the beneficiary becomes kid two, and then you could start using the money. And then if that money's left over, you could change it to yourself. And then you could start rolling it into an IRA. So there are a lot of different ways that you can leverage this 529 plan, which is why I view it as one of the best ways to save for education. There's so many options, so many different ways that you can leverage it. The con is, because there's always a con, we can't just, nothing's always roses here. Uh, you know, the con is, is if you pull out the money for non-qualifying expenses, you do pay a taxes and a 10% penalty. And that's what scares a lot of people, right? They're like, what if my kid doesn't go to college, yada, yada. Uh, like I might have to pay all these taxes and a penalty and, and that's scary, but there's a lot of ways you can do that. Use the account. You can change the beneficiary. And then 
my kind of favorite way to do it too, is that if you've already decided that education savings is a value that you have in your household, just let the money roll and then give it to a grandchild. It's like almost set up an education trust for your family. And you could just let this money grow for another 20 years. And then you yeah. can use it for future grandchildren or something. If that's a value that you have in your household. Yeah, I think that's an incredible legacy play as well. You know, you're you're helping me understand the ins and outs of all this stuff. You know, I was talking to somebody recently who was like, well, you know, I don't know if college is even a good idea. I think it's a, it's a propaganda machine, blah, blah, blah. But I, I feel like education legacy is is the right play it's like absolutely and i mean these accounts are 529s are one of my favorite estate planning tools and i know a lot of people don't necessarily think of them this way but if you're a grandparent um number one you could open a 529 plan for each of your grandchildren and your children i mean you can if you have a lot of them and you can have a ton of accounts then you can start putting a lot of money into those accounts outside of your estate and that money will grow to become an education dynasty for these children the other cool thing, as you touched on, is how do these accounts hurt financial aid? Well, they do. Every account hurts your financial aid because the only way you get financial aid is if you have no money. So if there's money anywhere, it will negatively impact your financial aid. However, 529 plans impact your financial aid the least. They only count towards 5.64% on the FAFSA. However, grandparent-owned 529 plans do not impact your financial aid one bit. Um, so you don't have to report the asset. It's not an issue. Um, so I love 529 plans, especially for an estate planning tool for grandparents, things like that. Unless, unless, unless grandma's changes the beneficiary at the last second to herself. <laughs> Good for grandma. <laughs> yeah. I'll add this, Scott, something that I don't know if we've ever talked about on the podcast, but if you get, if your child gets a scholarship, you can take that equivalent amount out of the 529 plan tax-free. Is that right, Robert? You get it taken out without penalty, not okay. tax-free. So you get to avoid the extra 10%, but you still have to pay the penalty. So in that sense, it almost becomes like an IRA. Um, so there there's no go. penalty, but like it effectively becomes like an IRA That's great. at that point in time. Yeah. That's great. Now, so, so you can still incentivize the kids to get scholarships. Absolutely. I mean, and then and you, again, you can use this for so many ways you can use it. There's also going to be a lot of additional like there's very rarely a scholarship that gives you a full ride plus books, plus all the other stuff that you got to get like, yeah, they'll give you tuition, but they won't cover room and board. They'll give you like half off of everything. Like it's very rare. It's like 0.01% of all college students get like full ride, everything covered. Like it, it doesn't happen very often. So what's your, uh, what's your downside to the uh, life insurance way of going about it? You said, I, I don't recommend that, but other people might love the life insurance game where they're like, we get to be our own bank. We get to, you know, draw against it and that sort of play here. Cause we have friends <laughs> that love that. So I want to hear your thoughts on it. Yeah, you know, it usually just comes down to costs and fees. So everything is a competition for dollars, right? So if you're investing this money in life insurance, you're typically paying a lot in fees. And so the net value of cash that you're going to get at the end of the day when the kid's turning 18, for say, uh, is probably not going to be as equivalent to what you're going to get if you took the same amount of cash and put it in a 529 plan. Not to say that, it, you know, the whole Mario go to shit for 12 years and like nothing grows and then life insurance ends up being a better play. But in, you know, 99% of the circumstances, you're basically overpaying uh, for, because you're paying for life insurance 
and you know this cash value that's going to potentially grow. So the net value you're going to get for the dollar in is not going to be as great on the dollar out. Maybe you want this life insurance. Maybe this kid has some kind of issues and you're trying to do the whole life thing and you know it's important to you to insure your child. Well, then this is also like the, the college parts like secondary. And so if you're overpaying, there's a reason to overpay. But if you're looking to like have my assets grow the most, typically like just investing in low cost index funds, which is what's offered in 529 plans is going to be the better approach. Okay. So unless the market tanks for a decade when you're trying to build this stuff. <laughs> so maybe it's part of your outlook on the future, but then we have lots of episodes on investing and long-term delayed gratification and it all goes up over time. So I think, but I think the critical thing is that we're bringing people on the show that can share a lot of expertise and different opinions and give a lot of, just, we're not trying to tell people, parents, what to think. We're trying to teach them how to think how and maybe think. some different tools that they can use as they're making decisions to be smart money parents. I mean, that's what we're here for. And that's it. And this, that, the problem is, is it always, it always comes down to a competition for dollars. Like none of us have infinite funds. If you have infinite funds, like you can put the 529 plan, you could do all of it. <laughs> But nobody has infinite funds. We all have just the thousand dollars that we're trying to save today. And we want that thousand dollars to grow into the best it can be for whatever the goal is. And if the goal is education, usually a 529 plan is the best way to go. If the goal is something else, there's other options there. And we can even talk about like taxable investing or things like that, right? Should you tell your when should you tell your kids that you're saving for their college? Uh, from the beginning. So I'm a big believer in transparent money styles with family. So I think kids should know how much they have for themselves at like every age, you know? So when you're teaching them at five years old, they should know what's in their savings account and what's in their piggy bank. And if you have a college savings account, they should know what that asset is. Um, and they should know, like, if you haven't really been super transparent by like freshman year of high school, you need to be like, fully transparent. You need to say like, this is what I have for you. This is what you have. Like, this is what we've saved. This is what I can potentially contribute, like, you know, out of my salary or ongoing for college, because you need to give your child the opportunity to plan accordingly. And, and what does that mean? Well, maybe they need to spend some time applying for more scholarships or, you know, setting those expectations in their mind of the path they want to take post high school, if that's community college or trade school. Because I see it way too often that it's like junior year of high school now and like the kids like applying to college and like mom and dad never said like what the money was or what was there. And these children like are like, well, I, I thought I could afford to go to this like really nice private school and spend, you know, $50,000 a year. And there's like, there's no money here for this. And then the child ends up making bad choices of like borrowing private student loans and things like that. So the more transparent you can be, the better it will be because there will be less tears, less heartbreak and better and clear expectations um, as you go down this journey. Yeah, that's good. I think some parents are worried that they'll like spoil their kids by telling them how much money they have saved for their kids. But again, it comes back to this, you know, we want to teach families to pass on heritage, not just inheritance, right? Yeah. So you want to have a really strong family legacy, right? Like part of this is, you know, over half of kids that end up going to college drop out in the middle of college, right? Yeah. What What are your thoughts on that? Is there any advisement you have for families on that sort of a conversation? Like, hey, I just got two years paid for, but eh, I want to do something better with my life. What do you do in this situation? 
It's hard. Um, you know, if there's no student loans, like, you know, just support the child, let them go off, get them to work. Um, it's when they have student loans or other debt, it can be very challenging because the one of the biggest like issues in the student loan debt crisis is that the people that struggle the most are the ones that never graduated college. It's they spent all this money and now their earnings after they've dropped out, like just don't work for paying these loans. And that's that's really the crux of the crisis. So I think it's really having clear conversations. I'm a big believer in the gap year too. Like if your child's already on the fence of like, if college is the right fit, like go work for a year, go travel a little bit, go try and explore some different things. Because I think a lot of people like get struck stuck in the structure that like you have to go to college right after high school. And it's like, I promise you that colleges will always take your money. You can go at like 20. They will not turn down the check. <laughs> like they will take it. Right. Um, so like, you know, if you want to take some different things, like go work, go intern, go try some stuff, like they will do it. And especially today with like trade schools, apprenticeships, there's a lot of different paths. Like college isn't the only path to wealth. Um, yes, statistically, it is proven to, you know, earn more over your lifetime. But I always like to put like an asterisk on that stat, right? So it's like, you probably heard this stat. A lot of the listeners probably have like, if you, college graduates earn a million dollars more over their lifetime than those that don't go to college, right? We've heard that. Yeah. Well, that's like a million dollars earned over 45 years. So like, what is the net present value of that money, right? Like it, it's about 80,000 bucks if we're just gonna shortcut the whole conversation. So you know, if you had $80,000 at 18, you would also have a million dollars more over your lifetime, um, just letting that money grow. So the hard part is you get to this inflection point. If you spend a lot more on college, you don't have an ROI. It doesn't, it doesn't get you to that end goal because like you'll take a whole lifetime to earn what you spend in college. But if you spend a little bit, right, maybe you only spend $20,000. Well, it's sweet. Like you got an ROI on that, but it's really important to think about that because Let's be honest, the true reason most people go to college is to boost their earnings. If they didn't have to go to college, no 18-year-old, if you're like, I don't have to, okay, cool, I'm just going to go work and make some money, they'll probably would do that. Yeah. No, this is great, man. The perspectives are phenomenal. I, I'm just thinking here, like, let's get practical, like, for just a second. If I got, you know, Chad has kids, you know, what is it, Chad? Eight, nine to 18. I have five kids. I've got nice. four kids, zero to seven. Okay. Love so it. just go real quick and, and think through a Scott, me, young kid perspective, how much a year and a Chad, older kid perspective, how much a year and what's like the average cost of different college. Like give parents a thinking here. Like if I have my 529 growing for 15 years versus seven years or six years or something like that, give me some thinking here as a parent. So I can, I think our parents like to say, be like, okay, here's a goal. Trying to put away 800 bucks you know, a month or something like that. That's like, give us a goal here. I love it. So I, I've really looked at the 529 plans by age or college savings by age. And it really comes down to what you want to save as, as a family. So first off, I always like to tell parents, you don't have to save at all. Like there's no expectation under the sun that you need to pay for four or five years of college, room, board, books, travel, whatever. Like I don't know why anyone thinks that they have to do that. If you're able to and blessed to, good good job. But like, you don't need to. Like, if you could put $1,000 a year to help your child, that's better than nothing. And, and so save what you can. Um, you know, so if you want to look at like the high end at 18, like the average cost of like a public school and stuff is 
35, $40,000 all in, right? $10,000 a year in tuition, living at home, like that's what you could save. So if you could save that, awesome. If you want to go to a private Ivy League school, you got to get to like the 250K mark, right? Like that's, there's, there's a big delta in that range. And so that's where it's like anything in the middle is better because paying for college isn't all about the savings. Like most families are still going to have working adults while the kids are going to school. So you could like put a little bit out of your working paycheck. The kids should be probably working. I'm actually hundred percent should be working in college. So like they should be paying for their own books, their own travel, uh, any extracurriculars, right? There should be scholarships. There's, there's all kinds of things that you can do to like fill in the gaps, but you know, 35 to 40,000 on the low end, if you're paying for it all 250 on the high end, but you know, that means if you start at age one, it means you probably need to put a thousand dollars in for a one-year-old and then another thousand, 2000 and let that money grow on the low end. And like, maybe like seven or 8,000 on the high end. And then the question becomes, where do you get this money? And I always like to look at it like, uh, you know, it's we're a tribe, we're a family, we can all help. So one thing we do in our household is uh, we eliminated a lot of gifting. Um, and I'm sure you guys all experience this as parents as well. But like, you know, you throw a, a birthday party um, for your kids and it's like you end up with like 40 gifts and they play with two. And like so much stuff goes back to Target and gets thrown away and stuff. And so we actually saw this from a friend. And they did it and they had the invite, a little evite came out. And I said, like, in lieu of gifts, if you want to make a contribution to their 529 plan. And all the 529 plans now offer it. There's services like Backer, you promise, you link it, you go, you put 25 bucks in, and then the kids still get to have a birthday party. They go play. But now, you know, the kid actually gets like three or four gifts from mom, dad, and sister, and brother. And so they still get like a toy or a good, like a goodie and they have a birthday party, but like now there's like all this other junk got eliminated and all the money went into a valuable cause for the future. And then you magnify that for a birthday, magnify it for Christmas or, you know, Hanukkah, whatever the holiday is for your family. Um, it really starts to add up. And so I'm a big believer in family gifting. I'm not saying like, don't give the kid any like thing. But like, I promise you, if even like 60 to 70% of your family and friends, like start doing this as a tool, uh, you know, if they're gonna spend $25 on a toy that the kid will never play with at Target or Walmart, like just put that money into a 529 plan and let like the sister or the brother give the gift that you know, the kid's gonna play with, right? It's awesome. That's so good. I love it, man. So it's backer and backer and you promise are a couple of backer those and you promise, but a lot of the 529 plans themselves allow it. I like backer because like it lets you do like a custom URL. So you put like, you know, backer.com slash kids name. And then there's a little picture of them and like, you know, it all, it all looks nice. Um, but yeah, we started seeing that on evites and then, you know, it's hard. Like if you're hearing this and you're like, Oh, I can't do that. It only takes one person in the friend group. And then I promise you it like spreads like wildfire through all the friend group. But like once they said it, cause all the other parents are like, Oh, this is genius. We don't have to get toys and do all this stuff. Yeah. That's so good. Very cool. Well, I think this has been fantastic, man. Thank you for sharing. Um, and how, how can our audience kind of connect with you more if they want to think more about college and, and prepare, like where can, where can we find you? Absolutely. So we're at thecollegeinvestor.com. Um, we're also on our podcast, The College Investor Audio Show. And if you like to watch shows, uh, we're on YouTube, TikTok, The College Investor. So however you like to get your content, we're there for you. Fantastic, man. Well, thanks again for your time. Thanks for sharing your expertise, Robert. We appreciate it, man.
this has been fun, guys. Thank you. And thanks, everybody, for listening. Um, you can see uh, Robert Moore at thecollegeinvestor.com. Go over and listen to their show. You can follow them on social as well. And if you want to ask us a question, go to smartmoneyparenting.com. If you want to get uh, in, involved with our sponsor, GravyStack, go to gravystack.com smart and get your kids going on the path to financial happiness and financial power today. Uh, download the app. It's live for everybody. And uh, we'll see you guys next time on Smart Money Parenting. It takes more than money if you want to succeed. They got to know what to do with it. They got to take the lead. Got to give them confidence. Got to make them smart. If the kids are going to thrive, now's the time to start. Smart Money Parenting.